If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back, Geek Catch-Up family. I'm Chris Heck. And I'm Kyle Eckerd. We are rapidly approaching the end of Season 2, and today we are coming at you with Wrestling Recap number 11, our last one before the July break. For this one, we are going to be breaking down the fantastic pay-per-view that was the third annual AEW Double or Nothing event, which took place live from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida on Sunday, May 30th, 2021. But before we ring the bell and start this match, we both want to send a big thank you to everyone for listening to our show and say that we truly appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you've enjoyed Geek Catch-Up, then be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a wrestling recap or chapter and leave us a review to let us know how you think we're doing. You can also find us on social media to get updates on the show and content from the world of geekery, Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find links to all of these accounts in the show notes below, as well as on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our Patreon page and PayPal if you'd like to support the show, but the absolute best thing you can do is simply share Geek Catch-Up with your friends and family. So with that out of the way, let's get this party started, because Double or Nothing was a jam-packed event that featured 11 matches, including the NWA women's title match during the buy-in pre-show, as well as a sold-out crowd for the first time in more than a year. In short, this card had a solid build, tons of hype, and the one ingredient all wrestling fans know is critical, a high-energy crowd to energize the competitors to bring their A-games. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, Kyle, but I really want to say up front that last night was end-to-end one of the best wrestling events I've seen in probably close to two years, and I recommend everyone who missed out go and try and catch it if you can. So why don't you share your reaction to that statement, Kyle, and then we'll get into breaking down each of these matches. What did you think about last night? It was really, really good. I I don't know if it was the best pay-per-view in the past two years. I'd have to really do a deep dive, go back and look at each card, but certainly recent memory it it had the hype level the crowd made a huge difference in the whole night um really in dictating kind of the ebb and the flow of each match and it, it's just exciting to see you know some sort of normalcy come back to the world of sports entertainment and professional wrestling uh, with the crowd with the pyrotechnics and just with the energy that they bring so i think all those factors brought together it was a solid solid pay-per-view Yeah, we saw some of that move in that direction with WWE bringing back the crowd for WrestleMania, and it certainly helped. But I think as someone who's been in an AEW crowd live before, you know, before COVID, and just hearing and seeing how kind of extra the AEW fans can be at a crowd, it seemed like they were full tilt extra for this event. Oh, yeah. I I marked it in one of the early matches. It it had almost like a house show type energy to it. Yes, yes. Where like the wrestlers themselves, sometimes if you've never been to a professional wrestling house show, it's a different feel than a Monday Night Raw, than a Wednesday Night Dynamite. Right. Like there's less production and more just raw energy. 
And I will say that it had that, that this pay-per-view had that raw energy that the crowd provides, you know, funny moments and little things like that, that just kind of maybe appear to go wrong or off script, but the wrestlers roll with it and the performers go there. And it just, it just creates a uniqueness that can only be found in those situations. It's true. And I don't think anybody took a bathroom break during this four hour event because it didn't matter which match we were watching, who was competing. You pretty much had full fan engagement chance support for pretty much any wrestler that was in the ring. I mean, it was, it was really special. It felt from that standpoint. Yeah, it was there. I mean, those fans have waited a long time and the performers have waited a long time to get something like this back. Sure. We saw it at Mania with a limited crowd, but the vibe was still different. There were still, you know, screens there. It still had the Thunderdome feel to it, even though it wasn't in the Thunderdome. It it just, it felt different. And this one, having just a whole full crowd, unique feel, Daly's Place was designed really well, laid out really well. So there was a couple tiers of fans to kind of give that look to it. It just... It felt different, and it felt, you know, from the before times. It gave you the vibe from the before times. Exactly. So jumping right in here, because there were 11 matches. Uh, We're going to start off real quick here with the results of the buy-in pre-show. I was not able to catch this, unfortunately. Kyle, I know you did, but ultimately the match ended up with current champion Serena Deeb holding on to her NWA women's title by submission over Riho. Any quick thoughts on that match? Uh, They told a pretty solid story with Riho's knee injury, kind of deep working the knee, and then that ultimately went into the submission finish, which was pretty cool. But all in all, this match served the exact purpose that it's supposed to serve. It's a pre-show match. It got the crowd super hyped because the crowd was there for this match. And then it just set the tone, which is exactly what you want out of a pre-show match. Perfect. Well, that explains a lot, because once we got into the main card here, kicking it off with the grudge match between the Machine Brian Cage and Hangman Adam Page, say that seven times fast, (laughs) (laughs) you could tell that we were in for just a great night right off the bat here. This was a pretty solid opening match, even though there was no titles on the line. These guys had been building this match over the last couple of weeks. And we even saw, you know, a little bit of a shift for the machine, Brian Cage, as he came out in kind of a interesting Terminator machine-like, you know, attire. He had a faceplate on. He had some chess gear on. Um, I thought it actually kind of looked a little mediocre. Like, I liked where he was going with it. You know, nice change, but he needed to commit a little harder. Right. And so it was... It was interesting to see for sure. So what were your thoughts there on on his shift? So it's interesting that you said like no time for bathroom breaks because I had that vibe that this was going to be a end-to-end crazy pay-per-view. So I took a bathroom break right up front. Oh. <laughs> like, and I thought to myself, I okay, all I'm going to do is I'm going to miss the entrances. And that's a bummer, but it'll be okay. I'm, the match is what matters. So I stepped away during Brian Cage's entrance. Gotcha. Right. And then I went to Twitter later as I was watching the pay-per-view and I saw pictures 
And I actually thought it was Photoshop. <laughs> I didn't think it was real. I was like, is that what he came out in? And like definitely several real. searches and several people posting more or less the same picture. I was like, oh my God, Brian Cage was wearing this like half-baked cyborg Terminator outfit. Yeah. It, it was a little it was a little goofy. I just think that dude is so huge. He he doesn't need any gimmicks. He doesn't need to be half machine. That is fair. Humans aren't supposed to be that big. Him and Bobby Lashley. <laughs> human beings are not meant to be that big and that agile. And I think that's really all the gimmick Brian Cage needs. It's true. And he's an impressive monster. And I thought that this match actually did a good job showing that off. Because Hangman Adam Page isn't really a small guy. He's a very athletic wrestler who can do a lot of high flying and a little bit more of what you would normally see out of the you know, smaller guys, the luchas or the cruiserweights, you know, he's able to do those moonsaults and and those outside dives is is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because right off the bat with this match, I mean, they started fast and frenzy, a lot of high powered, high risk back and forth moves. We saw some of those suicide dives. There was a huge power bomb into the ring post page hit an early, pretty big, massive moonsault to the outside of the ring from the top rope. So they got it going right off the bat. And all I could think about was how interesting it was that watching the match, it had this like big guy, little guy feel, even though it was two big guys. Yeah, I would give Adam Page the classic light heavyweight. You know, he he's obviously he's bigger than like your Shawn Michaels and your Bret Hart's of, a, of old, but he's obviously not the size of Brian Cage or like a true heavyweight. Right. So he falls into that light heavyweight category. And when you're going up against someone like Brian Cage, you kind of have to take the little man role. So I certainly, I could, I feel you on that. It it definitely had that vibe. Uh, His, his cowboy shit moonsault from outside was pretty wild. And honestly, this match, it was like the crowd propelled them, like push them to this just energy level, which it almost felt like they were working too fast <laughs> because the crowd was just kind of giving it to him and giving it to him. Uh, and it was definitely entertaining for sure. Oh, yeah. There was lots of cowboy shit chants. There was a lot going on. You had Taz on the on the mic, you know, on the commentary, which also helped. So I think that, yeah, the the perfect environment here and the perfect match to get them going because... They set the tone. They executed really well. And I thought, too, that was another thing about this was that for two big men, they did a lot of counter work, you know, where they were both going back and forth. That Superkin Rana attempt comes to mind where Brian Cage is sitting up on the top rope. Hangman Page came in to give him that Superkin Rana. Page stops him in the middle of the flip and uses that strength to pull him into a powerbomb stands up and then he gets countered again and actually gets the super Kenrana. you know it was just like a lot of back and forth um we even saw brian cage go for a buckshot lariat yeah by flipping over the top rope but then he gets countered into like an f5 by hangman page so you know they kept the energy and the pace of this match pretty high oh yeah from start to finish you know usually you get those two big guys you have some slow moments got to catch the breath and they were just at it i think it it's because both of them kind of break the mold of what their body shape is sure like like obviously like i said 
at Hangman Adam Page being a light heavyweight, you know, he can do the lightweight stuff, but also is very strong. And then Brian Cage being an absolute monster, but also being super agile. Right. So he he can do those flipovers. I mean, his buckshot lariat, yeah, he missed the lariat part, but he landed the buckshot part with the flipover, and that's not easy, uh, and especially for a guy of his size. There's there's no way. I mean, it takes incredible athleticism to do what he does. Agreed. And there was even one part where Taz specifically said to Shivani or JR or something, he was like, most people don't realize how good of cardio shape Brian Cage is in. Yeah. And I don't I don't remember exactly how they got there, but like as soon as he said that, all I then was like watching was was how hard Brian Cage was sucking wind essentially cuz he wasn't. Yeah. You know, even after 10 15 hard minutes of fast back and forth and being a big guy like it, like he looked like he was could have gone for another 30 40 50 60 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at a guy that big and you just think he's constantly dehydrated. <laughs> he's he's going to get blown up. You look, think of Goldberg to some extent, you know, he's this gigantic monster, maybe even Ryback. Right. These big bulking dudes who can only do 5 10 minutes and then they're done. Obviously Brian Cage is not that. He puts effort into into his runs, true. into his, his Peloton riding maybe, <laughs> and he makes sure to keep his cardio up and I think Brian Cage has a high ceiling in AEW. And I, I know that he came from Impact and was champion there at one point. But I, I think once he potentially breaks out of Team Taz, he could have a solid singles career. Agreed. And actually, it's a perfect segue here because we can talk about how this match ended. And then I had a couple of uh, quick questions for us around B- Brian Cage's future. But you know, ultimately, that fast pace continued the whole way. We saw a a whole lot of near falls toward the end of the match. You know, that quick back and forth. And then, ultimately, Team Taz comes out towards the end, which Cage did not want. They had talked about that going into the match, that he wanted to take down Page on his own. And it resulted in Cage getting distracted by Team Taz, Hangman hits the buckshot lariat, gets that pinfall to get that big win. You know, then we got a little bit of story afterwards. Not too much was said, but we got some arguing between Cage and Team Taz. Taz was on the mic himself, kind of talking like, what's going on? What's the problem? You know, et cetera, et cetera, building it. Yeah. And then Cage, you know, kind of stormed off after a little bit of shoving on his own. So. Do you have any thoughts on if um, this could be the beginning of the end between Brian Cage and Team Taz? I would like to see it. I think Brian Cage, it's a perfect way because I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves in this pay-per-view, but there are a lot of younger wrestlers that are destined to bigger things. And so, and I think Brian Cage eventually could be a champion of some sort. For sure. He's just... All the current, you know, champions right now, I don't want them to lose their belts. So I don't want him to go challenge and lose. Yeah. So I think this, what they could potentially do here and have him feud with his Team Taz teammates is that it's that perfect mid-card story that you could tell and get him somewhere, keep him involved, you know, mix up some other guys into the shuffle without having a belt on the line. I think it's a great way to go, especially for him as he progresses forward. Yeah, they need to get him on a tear, out on his own, standing alone, and winning more matches. Yeah. Because, you know, he hasn't lost all of his matches since he's come in, but he's definitely 
feels like he's been about 500, you know, win some, lose some, looks really good in some and not so great in others from like a, a impressive powerhouse standpoint, domination standpoint. Right. And so I'm with you there. I'd like to see him kind of go on a tear similar to what we started to see with Miro after his initial, you know, couple of weeks in, he started getting bunch of wins i don't know if he's even lost yet since he's come in but they they started to build that a little bit and then he got the tnt championship you know a couple of weeks back cage just feels like a guy that deserves to be in the main card title fights maybe get a little better on the mic that's probably a little bit of it but in ring i think last night he proved that he is he is right there oh yeah i think so and on the other side of this match hangman page another guy who's destined to be a champion i know it just (laughs) when is it gonna happen that that was like the last thing i wrote here is it it feels like a long time since page won at a pay-per-view uh i can't confirm that he probably won at revolution or something so Uh, but it felt like it had been a while since he had really started to gain his momentum back I think the day that Paige charges up to the top and wins that AEW championship, the crowd's going to go ballistic. Oh, yeah. He's definitely going to have a long, long title run. And maybe that's the challenge is they've got all these guys that could just be long, long title holders. And so it's like we're going to have to deal with this slow play of, you know, like a champion a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, as, I say, as we move through the rest of the matches, I think this is going to be a reoccurring theme because they showcase so much of their talent in this pay-per-view. It's like you want them all to be champions, but it's true. How do you make that work? So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, keeping us moving here, we do go right into our first title bout of the main card, which was for the AEW tag titles. That means we had the Young Bucks versus John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And this was kind of funny, you know, coming off of all of that intensity from the first match. I was a little confused for a moment because I thought Rick Vaughn was coming to the arena as I hear wild things oh, start wild to thing. play. And we get Mox and Eddie come walking through the crowd. They're swinging the $15,000 limited edition Air Dior Jordans that they stole from the Young Bucks a couple of weeks ago. And man, the people were just eating it up. Oh, yeah. it's He's been using Wild Thing as his entrance song for a number of weeks on Dynamite. But there was something different about this full crowd. Uh-huh. Everyone singing along, him going ballistic, missing the entrance ramp. Right. <laughs> and like Eddie Kingston kind of just started laughing at him because he walked way past his marker and then had to double back. It's because the energy was just so hyped. It was crazy. It was, it was good to see. I, I was happy to finally see, like, Mox be in his, like in his environment and i think this entrance showed that off it's true it's true and then of course you know the young bucks come in with their traditional entrance they hit the streamers as they are in the ring posing and mox and eddie had enough they don't even wait for that to finish the streamers are still in the air yeah and they attack the young bucks to get this going they fought for probably close to 10 minutes before the bell even rang on this match Oh, uh, the rules of this match went out the window. <laughs> uh, like, if you, it's funny because I'm a stickler for rules when it comes to wrestling matches. So this whole thing is incredibly entertaining because it was just so chaotic. Uh, like, right from the get-go, the match didn't even get a chance to ring the bell and to turn into a tag match. Uh, but despite 
there being just no rules and all that war, it was very entertaining right from the get-go. Yeah, they just pick and choose when they want to enforce things. And and it's really apparent in a match later on down the card after seeing how some of these early matches shaped up with like zero ten counts, no regulation of yeah. who's in the ring, who's not. I mean, the Young Bucks spent most of their time fighting this in a full tag team capacity, which isn't entirely different for them or unusual, but it's just like, yeah, pay-per-view tag title match and the ref is just like looking around like he doesn't even know what the rules are (laughs) right yeah the whole you know five seven seconds of tag team action after the tag and then one person's got to leave was just gone yeah if you wanted both people in the ring attacking an opponent then you could absolutely do that right and so because of that ambush you know the the bulk of the first half of this match really favored Mox and Eddie and was pretty much like a street fight. I mean, they were doing the things that they do, inflicting pain on the young bucks, taking out that aggression. And he had some good, you know, coinciding with the commentary team because JR and Tony have all been talking about how the bucks have changed and they deserve an ass whooping. So, you know, it definitely worked out well from the storytelling standpoint early on. But then we got that shift. The the Jacksons get their momentum back. They take control of the match. We get more of that high-flying style that they are known for. But really, I thought one of the most standout moves from this entire match was when they drop a Meltzer driver onto Mox on the entrance ramp. It was about halfway or so through and just cut his head wide open. Oh, is that when he got cut? I thought he got cut when he... Got hit with the spray. Well, I mean, maybe it had been the spray. It was right around that okay. time, but I, I think I didn't catch the blood until after the Meltzer driver happened, so I was assuming uh, that that was it. But could have been. The, the aerosol can definitely happened before you know the, the Bucks started to cheat a little bit, and that's okay. where they started to take that advantage more. I, I, I glossed over that part. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, it's okay. I was like, man, because base, because the cut was bad. Yeah. To, to your point, like the, the cut on his forehead was really really gruesome and i thought that it got there because one of the jacksons spiked an aerosol can off his head from like six inches away true like they were right in each other's face and he threw the can at his head so i figured that's what cut him open uh but i guess he very easily could have split his head on the entrance ramp because you're right the melter driver looked pretty rough i saw a couple posts on social where People in the crowd had like a great angle, like an upshot angle. Sure, yeah. Uh, of of that, and it was it looked pretty cool. It looked pretty good. That's a gnarly move with that, you know, springboard flip to give the extra momentum to the pile driver. But you know, it it definitely went through. The crowd just went berserk. I mean, as as loud as they were when the events happened and the first match happened, the mocks chance. Eddie Kingston got chance, maybe for the first time since he's been here. I mean, I, I the Eddie chance were just blowing my mind. Like, and that's what I was saying earlier about didn't matter who was in the ring. The crowd was throwing love and support to them. And, you know, of course, Mox is definitely a crowd favorite. The Bucks have been great heels throughout the last few months and really with this storyline. So they were milking that that face heel interaction. And the crowd wanted Mox and Eddie to pull this off. Ultimately, I think it was kind of nothing too too stand out or nothing that we hadn't seen before from either of these teams, but it was a good high energy match, definitely brutal in spots. 
Um, we got a, a number of hot tags between Eddie and Mox that made for some good moments as they came in and out with that crowd work, like I was saying. But I thought that my real favorite moment of this whole situation was the the Dior's Day device. <laughs> the or- Dior's Day device. It was pretty good. <laughs> like, but it was that moment. So it's like perfect. It's it was this match that gave me the house show vibes. Okay. Because the crowd was just chanting whatever came to their brain. And you know, the wrestlers were feeding into it so much and then getting something as kind of goofy as the Dior's Day device is very much a house show. Like it was this match that drove that home for me. Yeah, yeah, Eddie gets one of the Jacksons up on his shoulders, classic Legion of Doom. Mox goes to the top rope, but he grabs one of those Air Dior shoes and just like slugs him over the face with it as he gives him the clothesline. And and I kind of cracked a little bit when the commentary team said Dior's Day. Like it was so corny, but at the same time, like to your point, almost that house show vibe. Like I just started chuckling to myself. Yeah. And those are those moments where obviously the announcers know it's coming that that was a pre line that they had in the can that they were going to use. Right. But it's still very entertaining and very fitting for a Mox fight because he has just a perfect way of being goofy and, and having these like really odd ball spots, but also still making them feel like a legit fight. Yeah. And th- that was one of those moments where like, this thing is so goofy. You can laugh to yourself, but yet at the same time, you're like, yeah, that probably still hurt. At times, it reminds me of, like, later career Stone Cold when he was still, like, a hardcore badass and, like, nobody wanted to mess with him. Like, the character was still extremely tough, but then he was getting into some of the more loosey-goosey, like, absurd-type things he would do in the ring or backstage, and it just didn't matter. Yeah. Like, you never thought any less of his toughness. It's just... Okay, you know, it's going to be yeah. more entertaining now. <laughs> we think of like any time he would spike a beer off somebody or douse somebody after opening a can, right. the entire beer truck incident. Like, if you look at it, you take a step back, you look at it, you're like, this is so odd and goofy. But yet, because of who is presenting it to me, it all makes sense. It's and true. It's realistic somehow. Right. So... This match also had a bunch of near falls there towards the end. And as much as I really expected the Young Bucks to win this when we were doing our predictions coming into it, there was definitely a few moments where I thought it was going to go the other way because of the near falls. You had that big top rope move in the Dior's Day device. We saw Mox hit some paradigm shifts to Matt Jackson. And, you know, they did a good job with you know, the other young buck kept coming in and either throwing the tag team off or breaking up the pin. So they just couldn't get over the hump. And ultimately the bucks ended up regaining control and just brutalizing mocks with five consecutive VTE triggers. You know, there's big old knees to the face from both sides and he just was pretty much out and they get the pin one, two, three to retain the belts. Yeah. They did a good job of basically subtext telling the story that the bucks are a tag team and know how to operate a tag team and while mox and kingston are very good friends they are still individual wrestlers teaming together right and it's like so telling that you know subtext story is is really well done i think that's what i took out of this match was that more times than not nick and matt 
were finding ways to do tag team moves and separating the other two guys from each other, while Mox and Kingston never quite got the tag team vibe together. They they had moves, but they weren't like a cohesive unit just yet. And so it would make sense for Nick and Matt to retain the titles because they are you know, the best tag team in the game. So from there, we then jumped into something a little bit more chaotic in the Casino Battle Royale. And this is definitely a match that we will not be able to cover everything that happened. But it really, ultimately, it was very much like a Royal Rumble. It was an over-the-top rope type stipulation, but it had 20 people instead of 30. And they did this kind of interesting, different thing as far as how the entrance came out. So they they assigned everybody to a deck of cards, shuffled that deck, and they brought uh, the wrestlers out in groups of, you know, four to six, depending on group. And they did it by selecting a card as far as the suit goes. So there was a group of diamonds, there was a group of spades, there was a group of hearts, et cetera, et cetera. And then that secret contestant that nobody knew who got to come in last was the Joker. So that was the the entrance, you know, benefit if you could be the Joker, right? Come in at the end. And this match had a stipulation similar to the Royal Rumble where whoever wins, they got a AEW world title shot somewhere down the line. Yeah, I really enjoyed the difference on the match, the the typical battle royale match type and how they altered this to give us something that is very familiar to us in a battle royale or royal rumble with the end stipulation but adjust the rules to make it a little more unique so you're not just sitting there being like you know okay it's a battle royale every 30 every 30 seconds like blah 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 somebody new is going to come in like doing the groupings and the suits and having like five people all rush in at once when the timer went off was it was pretty cool, pretty unique, and hats off to AEW for kind of thinking outside the box on adjusting a known match type to something new. Exactly. It felt like a good middle ground between the really drawn-out Royal Rumble and the typical everybody-starts-in-the-ring-from-the-get-go battle royal, which I personally don't like. Oh, yeah, it's too much. This definitely felt like a good balance, just to you know concur with your point there. Um, but we did see essentially a pretty solid opening group here with um, the clubs being picked first. You know, so we saw Christian Cage was essentially entrant number one. That was good to see him coming in. Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, the Natural Dustin Rhodes, and then um, Platinum Max Caster, you know, one half of the acclaimed. So a good little group here to get things started. Um, I know you're a huge Christian fan, as we've established. So any thoughts there before we um, move forward here? No, not in the early goings of this match. It's It started slow because I felt like the crowd and the entire pay-per-view needed to downshift sure so but it it all struck that smart balance of like understanding this is going to be a longer match and we can't just have it you know coming off two matches which were very chaotic right we can't we can't just keep rolling into this high energy all over the place style match so we need to slow it down and i thought the beginning part of this match really did well there especially with christian cage and a couple other guys being able to showcase them and their wrestling technique 
Yeah, for sure. And we didn't see really too much happen with that first group. I think there was like one elimination where Max Caster threw out Matt Seidel, but not not too much happened right there in that first three minutes. And then when they brought in the the diamond grouping, which was Isaiah Cassidy from Private Party, Matt Hardy, uh, 10 from Dark Order, Nick Camarado, who looked like a big hoss. I don't think I had seen him too much before. Maybe an AEW dark guy and Serpentico. And that really started to open this matchup, pick it up a little bit, because it wasn't too long after all those guys showed up that we got a a number of eliminations all quickly, where Serpentico, Camarado, 10, and Dustin Rhodes all get thrown out within a pretty quick succession of each other. Yeah, I enjoyed all of those guys. They all seem to be really big dudes. Like, I think Preston Vance, who is number 10 of the Dark Order, once the Dark Order kind of has their run and is over and he takes the mask off, he's going to have a solid singles career ahead of him. Uh, And then as far as Nick Camarado, that dude looks like Jim Duggan to me. Right, yeah. (laughs) Like, honestly, I was like, that is a 2021 version of Jim Duggan. Like, just give him a two-by-four and have him start saying, (laughs) and he's just Jim Duggan. Like, you know, I I don't know if that's what he is in ring. Obviously, in a match of this type, you don't get too much just individual showcasing and how much you can wrestle. It's, It's more just all over the place and punching and kicking and trying to throw people over the top. But I, I think that dude just looked like Jim Duggan. He, he looked like a clone uh, of old Hacksaw. It's true. Get him some blue tights. From there, you know, probably one of the only real highlights that came was a little bit of a tease here. When Once Matt Hardy was in here, there was a moment between Christian and Matt Hardy where, you know, you thought we were about to get that flashback and have them go at it for a little bit. But... It ultimately didn't happen because um, Matt Hardy was saved by Isaiah Cassidy. So, you know, the fans were kind of like, oh, you know, they got head faked there. Yeah. Um, But the rest of the folks that came in here were the Varsity Blondes, Cole Cabana, Anthony Owens from the Acclaim, the other half, Penta. And then we saw Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn from Private Party, Evil Uno, Big Shotty Lee Johnson from the Nightmare Family. So another really decent mix of talent, sizes, kind of new and old. Any thoughts from some of those entrants and what happened with them? Honestly, no, because it was at this point in the match where I I kind of lost track of who was coming in, who was getting eliminated. It was just there was so much going on because it felt like the break between the first set of entrance and the second set was much longer than the second to the third and to the fourth it was like they literally dropped a minute off the timer in between you know groups because like all of a sudden it went from being like okay there's like five dudes in the ring all right four oh five more came in we're up to nine and then all of a sudden it was like 17 bodies just all over the place (laughs) well and the commentators even struggled to follow it yeah. Oh, yeah. Like people were getting eliminated and they didn't notice and they do callbacks two minutes later being like, oh, where's I think specifically with Powerhouse Hobbs. They were like, where's Powerhouse Hobbs? And then Tony Schiavone or Big Show or Paul White was like, oh, he got eliminated by so and so two minutes ago. Like, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it didn't help that there was a point where Hobbs and Christian both were were still in the match, but they had gone under the bottom rope and were pretty much like taking a breather yeah. for, you know, five or ten minutes. So they were gone. Then they came back. 
Um, but you know, all in all, it was definitely a fairly mediocre battle royal. You know, it was it had a good format. There was a few good moments, but nothing too crazy that happened. And then we get towards the end here. Because as the field started to narrow, and we still saw Matt Hardy in there with a you know, private party, his crew, we still saw Christian in there, and then there's Jungle Boy, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, good to see the nod here to private party and Jungle Boy, but this is going to be about Matt Hardy and Christian. So I thought for sure they were circling back to give us you know, maybe five minutes of the two of them really going at it and then see who wins. Presumably Christian, in my opinion. But we did get that X factor of the Leo Rush spot when he came in, but it ultimately didn't make a huge difference from him and as far as the ending goes. But before we talk about exactly what happened, what were your thoughts on Leo Rush making his debut in AEW? I was really hyped because I really like Leo Rush. I think he's a smaller guy, but he's got a ton of upside to him. I think it, it's a bit disappointing because I'm pretty confident the majority of wrestling fans out there had put it in their brains that it was going to be Daniel Bryan. Right. I had like, or Brian think, Danielson. Yeah. yeah Brian <laughs> Danielson, you know, the American dragon was coming. I think so many people had like just hoped upon hope that maybe they knew that it wasn't really going to go down that way, but that wasn't going to stop them from hoping. Uh, so while it may have been a bit of a dud, by comparison to, you know, DB, he's still a great shock and a great pickup for AEW. Yeah, he's like Spider-Man bouncing around in there. The way he goes at it and how fast he is, how small he is. Yeah, I think he ran through somebody's legs at one point, yeah. which was pretty cool. Like, he definitely utilizes his size to his advantage. So, And as far as I know, he's a Maryland guy, so I'm always going to support him. Even better. Yeah, when I saw him, I was a little disappointed, but at the same time, I think that, you know, AEW does have a good style that matches him and his style, so a lot of high flyers, a lot of high energy, I think he can get to showcase off his skills and continue to build up a little bit more, so especially if they bring in some sort of cruiserweight type belt at some point for some of these guys, you know, he could be a fixture in that or getting that going so we'll have to see exactly how it works out but you know once Matt Hardy threw him out you knew and you expected that this was going to be like I said before the Matt Hardy versus Christian show yeah but we got a kind of a surprise here we really got head faked again in this because you know the private party gets eliminated by Christian and Jungle Boy and then um, Matt Hardy gets eliminated by Christian. So I was pretty stunned. I don't know how you felt, but seeing Christian and Jungle Boy as the last two in this battle royal was not something I ever saw coming. No, I, I didn't exactly see that coming either. Quick shout out to our folks on Instagram that, that gave us our predictions. You know, friend of the podcast, Matt, he thought it was going to be Penta. So unfortunately, that one didn't you know pan out the way he thought it would, but the guys from this week in Metropolis, they were all in on Christian Cage. And at this point in the match with Christian Cage against Jungle Boy, you really had to feel like it was going to go Christian Cage's way because it's like, yeah, Jungle Boy is really good. He's had some title opportunities before, but he's still very, very young. You know, he's only 22, 23, 24 years old. Right. So he's got a long career ahead of him. Meanwhile, Christian Cage is that Hall of Fame status and it could be in line for a, an AEW shot like at the title. So 
you thought that it was going to go Christian Cage, but I'm I'm very happy that it turned out the way it did. Yeah, I was 100% expecting like that. Okay, it's in the bank. It's Christian Cage here. And they had some great back and forth between the two of them. Good drama, a bunch of close eliminations. And it was so cool because, you know, right there at the end, Christian looked like he was about to throw Jungle Boy off and Jungle Boy does Jungle Boy things and kind of like flies around the ring post and back underneath the ring, saves himself, and then quickly thereafter gets the surprise elimination over Christian to win the Casino Battle Royale and earn an AEW world title shot. It's the big time. You know, we'll see what happens if he goes on to win that AEW championship in his fight. I get the vibe that looking at the three competitors that are in the AEW championship later, that he could be destined to lose to any one of them. Uh, But I think five to seven years when he gets around that late 20s, early 30s, Jack Perry could be the biggest name in wrestling. I don't know if the fans are going to let him wait five to seven years, because if you heard how strong the fan support was for him during that match and the amount of people, you know, oh, oh, oh you know, chanting yeah. his song and everything. Uh, I the, mean, the, it the is Baltimore, there. Uh, yeah, it, he, it's now. I mean, I'm all in on, on Jack Bear, <laughs> on Jungle Boy. You know, I'm I'm all in. I'm, I'm doing my best JR here where I'm, like, calling him by his actual name and not his wrestling <laughs> name. But I'm all in on Jungle Boy. I think he's got the athleticism. He's got the skill. He's got a good look. He maybe could put some weight on. You know, and beef up a little bit, get to that hangman page style like sure. weight and size because I think he's fairly tall. Right. Uh in you know, in the the gimmick's all there with the Jurassic Express. It's true. And he's got his backup with Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt and the great entrance in the Baltimore Tarzan Boy, which is another Tony Khan purchase. You know, a, a real song. I think it, it's all there for Jungle Boy, so I don't want to wait five to seven years. I'm with the crowd. I just think that's what it's going to take because, like we said with Hangman Page and Brian Cage, there's so many people on this roster that you want to see hold a belt right now. And you look at Jungle Boy's age and you're like, okay, he could wait a little bit and get it down the line sure. and still be okay. Yeah, for sure. But if they're going to give it to him now, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah, ultimately, though, you know, mediocre Battle Royal, great finish. That's where I'd rate the Casino Battle Royal for for Double or Nothing this year. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So coming out of that, we go into another, you know, grudge match of sorts, or what I like to call the Who's Cody Rhodes putting over this week match, (laughs) because that seems to just be where he's at, and it makes sense, it's fine, but, man, that is all we're getting out of Cody Rhodes right now. So this was him versus anthony agogo they kind of build this as like the revolutionary war match as well it was all this american versus britain type stuff it was yeah it was kind of interesting but you know they just they force cody straight into these different feuds every three weeks and he's making them work so yeah when they <laughs> aired the memorial day package before the match it like suddenly everything clicked yeah it was like, oh okay that's that's why they did this okay okay <laughs> Probably not going to spend a whole lot of time here. This was a clean match. It was a decent match. It went a little too long, but really 100% the most interesting thing about this whole thing 
was that Cody Rhodes used his EVP privileges and changed his whole gimmick from the American nightmare to the American dream for one night. For one night, and then came out dressed like Homelander. <laughs> and then came out, yes, thank you, because that's all I could think about was he looked like Homelander, which fits way better with the American Nightmare theme. So I was like, where is your brain at, bro? Yeah, the, this was a good match. You're right. It, it, was a, it was a fine match. Nothing too wrong with it. Anthony Agogo is young and has a lot to learn. But to your exact point, I think the last five Cody Road matches slash feuds have literally all been the same story. Yeah. Like, and it's just, it it's fine. It, it's working to some extent, but at the exact same time, uh, if there was a bathroom break match, it probably could have been this one because you the writing was already on the wall. A hundred percent. So we'll have to see more out of Anthony Agogo. I do need him to either eliminate this move from his repertoire or really take some time to get better at it. But he did produce the weakest intimidation of a people's elbow I have ever seen in my life. I'm not sure I caught that. Oh, he, you did not? Oh man. I don't th- I don't think I caught that, but dude, you can't you can't do that. Nobody gets to do that. I'm sorry. There there's no modern wrestler out here that gets to do a version of the people's elbow. Like John Cena gets grandfathered in with the you can't see me. <laughs> and even that it, it, no, you just can't do it. It almost felt like Anthony Agogo knows that nobody's allowed to do it because it just felt like he wasn't committed to it, man. He stood over top of Cody, he gives this, you know, hand signal, and then he goes and hits the rope on the side, but he only did one rope, he didn't jump over, and then he gave this kind of like half-ass elbow drop. So like it was almost like he wasn't confident in what he was about to do, but he did it anyways. Right. And and that was pretty much the end of me being interested in him for this one, if I'm being honest, because <laughs> that was almost a, a cardinal sin there. But um, you can see there's a lot of potential there. Cody did get the win here. He hit the vertebraker and then gets that pin. Being that I do think a lot of what he's doing is putting people over, I think he accomplished that even though he keeps getting the wins. That's like the one factor, right, is Cody keeps winning, but he is definitely having pretty solid matches with all of these guys. Yeah, I think the one thing you could take away from this as it's just starting to become obvious is Cody Rhodes, as his role in the company and his character on screen is... When you come into AEW, if you're a semi big name, you have to you have to wrestle me first. Right, yeah. You got to start with Cody. It's almost like the Crucible that the X-Men do in the <laughs> the current Jonathan Hickman run where like you have to earn your place in mutant kind and that's Cody Rhodes is like when you come into AEW, you have to earn your place on the roster by having a a mini feud against Cody Rhodes and winning or losing but losing with respect. It's just him training the new guy. You know, it's like training, corporate training. You got to go through, you got to sit through these classes, you got to have your match with Cody, and then you're released to the roster. There you go. (laughs) And it's working. It's working. Why not? (laughs) Well, it is, because in our next match here, we have a a stud that literally went through this exact formula in the Murder Hawk monster Lance Archer going up against Miro for the TNT Championship. So, you know... Lance Archer got to start with Cody. He went on to his own title run, has been doing a few other things here and there, and now he's circled back here looking to take that belt back for, I guess, a second time it would be if he pulled it off here. 
But really have to say, super glad to see Miro as champion in general because we've we've said it before. We were huge Rusev fans from his WWE days and been just waiting for him to really get going in AEW here. And this match definitely was a little longer than expected. Had a lot of energy as well for two big guys coming out the gate. But I got to make a comment on the entranceway because I feel like Miro got a little disrespected as he was coming in. Being a champion, he got the weakest freaking pyro I have ever seen for a champion at a big pay-per-view. What was it, like three little mediocre green blasts? Like, I don't even know. What is with AEW's pyro department? Well, I'm surprised they did any pyro at all because Daly's place was so jam-packed. and It's not like there was a massive entrance ramp where you could do pyro without getting something on the fans. That's true. So I'm surprised they did anything at all, but... <laughs> Maybe that explains it. Maybe that explains yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I just was like, man, I was like, they are just disrespecting this guy with his little sparkler, you know, routine. Just like, pew, pew. Yeah, yeah. but he's got, the, he's got the big flex. I mean, it's not really about the pyro with Miro. Like, it's all about his physique. And when he just does, like, the full-body quad trap arm flex like he just looks like a beast i just still want the return of the bulgarian flag giant behind him uh, with his face on it like oh with his face on it yeah <laughs> that would be fantastic but i did realize that when his entrance his titantron video it says the best man it is in that green red you know that red green right white the bulgarian flag look so maybe we're just slowly getting there what we need anyways i digress i digress so this match was definitely right hot off the gate you know another one where these guys were feuding hard lance archer did not want to waste any time he pretty much dives straight out of the ring to attack miro as he's entering so shades of that tag team match from earlier on we got a few pretty interesting moments right up front Lance Archer hits his, you know, old school into the moonsault like he does, which is always impressive for somebody as big as he is. There's a huge spine buster that Archer also gave Miro through a table on the outside. Yeah. And still, once again, you know, Ref Aubrey just not counting to 10. Yeah, just not at all. (laughs) Just rules out the window. I thought Jason Aaron, comic book writer who was live tweeting during Double or Nothing, uh, it summed this matchup perfectly for me. It said, this is like a kaiju fight. These two monsters should level the ring and then go tromping through Jacksonville. (laughs) And I was like, and I think maybe that's what Ref Aubrey was letting him do. Like, just destroy the ring, destroy Daly's place, and then destroy Jacksonville. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely could. And they definitely went to it. I mean, Miro also gave a pretty crazy set of belly-to-belly suplexes onto archer and then he threw him into the fans yeah and that was pretty wild to see i mean knocking down the fans and then just going right back over the guardrail and throwing him back into the ring that looked like a pretty devastating set of moves and really highlighted once again the power that miro has oh he's just a beast he's an animal and throwing a guy like Lance Archer around is pretty incredible because Lance Archer's like six eight, six nine. Right. It's like Kane. Yeah, he's huge. It just he, he maybe he doesn't look quite like Kane because he doesn't have the mask and like his his pre- his presentation is a little different. I don't know if his trunks necessarily help him. Well, I'm saying size wise. 
size. But, no, that's what I mean. But like his presentation visually, he doesn't look as big as he actually is. Gotcha. That that's yeah. what I mean. Fair. Uh, and so when you when you see him getting thrown around like this, and then you take a step back and you look at it, you're like, okay, that that is impressive. Yeah. What Miro is doing. So I, I didn't think there was too much else that really stood out here. There was a funny moment where Jake the Snake finally comes out after the angle they worked where Miro had attacked him early and he's got what is supposed to be, I guess, a snake in his classic, you know, drawstring bag and he's getting the attention of Miro. And I actually just started dying laughing because Miro pretty much has none of it. He goes after Jake the Snake, picks up the snake bag and then throws it like 40 feet back (laughs) into the entrance ramp. Like that snake is dead if it was Uh in there. Yeah, like the whole crowd, the commentators, everybody froze because they're like, uh, what? Like, and then you really hope and well, you have to imagine there's there's not a snake in that bag. Yeah, that there's no way. But for the people who don't know if there is or isn't a snake in that bag, like that looks brutal. Yeah, it was so funny. And like, it was just one of those flashes of what he brings to the table. He had it when he was Rusev. We've gotten it a few times as Miro, but that to me was like one of those classic moments that I love from that guy. And like being right in the middle of the match, it was like another one of those house show moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He chucked the snake. And I love his tweet following it up here. He says, I'm the champ. Bring PETA, Peter Pan. I don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> Like, he's just going to lean into it because honestly, that was my first thought. As soon as he chucked that snake, I'm like, oh my God, AW is going to get so many phone calls after this. Right. Like, from animal rights organizations. And that's when you had to convince yourself that they weren't going to let that spot go down with a real <laughs> snake in that bag. There's, there's just no way. Unless it was uh, unplanned. It, <laughs> unless it was unplanned. And then who knows? If, if it if Miro actually chucked a snake, <laughs> <laughs> like. They they actually could be in for some trouble because that would that would not go over well. It's true. It's true. But you got to think that he's he's not going to get totally caught up in the moment and just throw a snake halfway across an arena. But for <laughs> comedic storytelling purposes, yeah, perfect Miro, perfect Miro. It was awesome. Yeah. So he pretty much does that and then turns around. And a few moments later, he is able to lock in, you know, his traditional submission onto Archer. And the ref had to actually call for the bell because Lance Archer pretty much goes unresponsive. So Miro retains in a pretty decent matchup, yet another pretty entertaining matchup. And so we're about halfway through the pay-per-view here and not really a bad match to to call out. You know, I mean, it was just trucking along perfect on this one. Yeah, they were firing on all cylinders. Like, this this match was brutal, and it was a great way to get Miro a win without making Lance Archer look weak in any way. I feel like, you know, he, he does lose a lot for some reason. It feels that way. But he always looks really good in his losses. And I think the pay-per-view, the Cody match went a little long. This one went a hair too long that i would agree with yeah all in all they they were they were moving forward and and you know even if things did go slightly over what you'd want them to do maybe the natural feel of what it should do they're still excellent matches right exactly that's definitely a fair criticism of this pay-per-view is that every match seemed to get that full 20 to 30 minute treatment and while they were all 
pretty well entertaining, good wrestling matches, pretty clean matches too. Yeah. The, you know, it definitely started to to get a little long for some of these mid to lower card matchups. Yeah, and I'll say this before we get into the next two matches. There's a string here between Cody Rhodes' match, the Miro, um, and then when we see the AW Women's World Championship, and then, of course, Sting Darby Allen. All of these matches were fine, but in my opinion, they all went about five minutes to ten minutes too long because throughout the course of the wrestling match, it became clear what the story was. Like, obviously, we talked about it with Cody Rhodes. Right. We, we knew what that was. We've seen this happen before with Cody Rhodes. And the same thing with the Miro. We knew what this match was going to be, just two big, beefy dudes kicking the crap out of each other. Exactly. And so, and into the next two, when we get there, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. But it felt like, storyline-wise, you knew exactly what was going to happen. In all four of these matches. Agreed. And there were just slight moments where you're like, look, we, we know where you're going. And I, I do appreciate like solid storytelling and drawing things out. But in some of these cases, this is the moment the crowd lost a little bit of that momentum. And it's because they just they were not really, really good. And I don't want it to sound like I'm hating on any of these matches because they were all excellent. But it's. I guess if we're going to use the wrestling star rating, it's the difference between a four, four and a half and a perfect five. Yeah. And I think that typically most wrestling cards, you see that mixture of match lengths to keep everything kind of moving, give you those different feels, keep the crowd from fading out in any way. Whereas it, it maybe looking back on it, just seemed like it was kind of like a, them rewarding the wrestlers in a way of just saying, hey, you know, we're not going to make anybody be wham, bam, thank you, ma'am here tonight. We're going to give all of our legit matches the full time to go out and enjoy being in front of the fans and all of that. So it, it worked out in its own right, but that was definitely just one of the few little knocks that summed up, really. I mean, it was one of the longest pay-per-views, if not the longest pay-per-view they've put on. Oh, yeah. Like I said, no... No big time shade here. It it was still a solid pay per view, but like if you have to find a critique, right, th- right, this is where this is where it's going to be in this stretch of matches. Now I will say, getting into the next match, which was the AEW Women's Title match, as you alluded to, between current champion and longest reigning women's champion so far, Hikaru Shida versus the DMD. Britt Baker, who has been on a tear and really leaned into the heel role over the last couple of months. And I wasn't 100% certain what was going to happen here. I mean, Sheeta has been just absolutely fantastic. I think they said that she is 24-1 and over her last 25 matches, and she has been a solid champion carrying them through the pandemic times. But Britt Baker, you know, as much as she's kind of struggled early on, she's really seems to be kind of finding her own in recent matches, recent uh, weeks. And so it felt like, okay, it might be her time to take it over. So this match getting in, I mean, they had a lot of intensity as well. Tons and tons of back and forth, more near falls than maybe any of the other matches on the card and really had me going back and forth like uncertain who might pull this off? But what were your thoughts here? Oh, I thought they they absolutely kicked the crap out of each other. And it was it was brutal in a way that sometimes you don't see 
women's matches be? And I think it's it's Britt Baker. Like Britt Baker has been putting on a show for the past six months. Like she's just been so good on the mic in the ring. Like you can tell that she's been working her tail off right. to get better because she was supposed to be what we thought the face of the women's division when AW first came up three years ago, and then it just didn't quite work out. Nyla Rose ended up becoming the champion, uh, or should say Riho was the very first champion, and then Nyla Rose, and, uh, and then now, of course, Sheeta, who it didn't feel like she had been champion for a year, but then, yeah, it's kind of wild that she won the belt last year at Double or Nothing and has been champion for a full year, but blame covid for that one for making everything timeline wise just feel off it just feels weird yeah it just feels weird but yeah they they absolutely kicked the crap out of each other and i i was happy to see it i was happy to see them just just go to it but i will say at no point did i feel that my prediction was ever going to be off okay like i i my i predicted you know Britt baker was going to win and throughout the match there were a lot of close calls i still had faith that she was going to come out on top because I felt like she's just been so good lately. She deserved that nod. Yeah. And probably time for a change as we move into them, you know, going back to touring and all of that. Sheeta has been so impressive. And I think that she has been, you know, the shining star of the AEW women pretty much since she's come on the scene, pretty much all of the matches that I feel like were, best AEW women's match of recent memory. They've all got her in it. Yeah. And this was no exception. And I thought that they did a good job telling some of the story because Britt Baker, she's blue collar. She's got this heel edge going now. She plays, you know, she she's almost like a slugfest in a way, even though she's not like a big jacked competitor. But, I mean, it's just got that kind of heavy hitting type style. And you saw even at moments through this match where the commentators kept calling out that, Sheeta was just, you know, almost uncharacteristic. She was tapping into it. She looked so serious and angry and oh yeah. Was almost like losing control at times to, you know, beating Brit's ass so much and things like that. And so it just really kept the intensity high and they both delivered where, you know, in a lot of matches we've just unfortunately seen with the ADW women and even Britt Baker herself where they're not clean matches. There's some you know shaky spots or some botches and i thought that this one they pretty much hit everything it looked like they were trying to do yeah i would agree with that they they certainly got all their spots in uh sometimes maybe this is a knock on sheet and it's tough because i'm nitpicking is that her she sells so early and so often that like it slows the pace of the match down okay and like you know, I don't mind the selling. I love good selling and wrestling, but like it's as soon as she gets hit early in the match, she's doing the slow sell. Right. <laughs> and then that when that continues for the next 15 minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, like, come on. And then that's fair in this particular match when there was probably a dozen two count kickouts, like it, it's like, ah, oh, geez, Louise, guys, come on. Like, so the point that I was making before we got to this match, in my opinion, we I knew where this match was going. And I just wanted them to get there. And about three quarters of the way through the match, I was like, okay, can we stop with this charade and just and just start working towards the finish here? Okay. And, and that, like I said, and I'm nitpicking. And I'm nitpicking because it was a really, really good match. 
I just five minutes too long. And it was five minutes of like, oh, struggling to get back to their feet. True. Like where the crowd, the crowd was just ready to go. And yeah, it was knockdown drag out type deal. Yeah. And like the truest sense of the word, we're just each competitor back and forth. You think they've got it. And then just the next one comes back again. You think they've got it, and it was just a slugfest almost back and forth. Yeah. And after following Cody Rhodes and Miro, which were two slugfests, I wanted a match that picked up the pace, and I thought this was going to be it. Well, it did pick up the pace. It, it had a pace to it, but I thought that it was a little different, like where some of the previous matches had a lot of big spots and kind of big moves, devastating moves. The one thing that I did note about this is that when I got done putting together my notes for a recap here, I didn't really have any like major moments called out. Yeah. The, you know, there was a decent Falcon arrow and the curb stomp towards the end, you know, but there wasn't any like, oh my gosh, spots in this one. It was more of just them kind of brawling in a way. Yeah. Which is very fitting for both of these competitors. And it's fine. Like you, you need all types it just like i said it the writing was on the wall and if you were on twitter the the words double turn were just peppered <laughs> all throughout because they were doing a great job of kind of doing that coming in Britt baker was supposed to be the heel she does definitely the face champion sure but they made that swap because the crowd is just getting so behind Britt baker lately because she's been so good yeah, the crowd was more behind Britt Baker than I expected, honestly. Yeah. But it was good to see, you know, because as we said, she deserves it. So that brings us here to the finish where we did see Britt lock in the lockjaw submission after a number of attempts of trying to get it there, and Sheeta did tap. So Britt Baker is the new AEW Women's World Champion, and this was our first title change of the pay-per-view. Yeah, and she's improved so much over the past couple of years. This is due, and we're really excited. I'm personally very excited to see what she does with her first title reign. If she can keep this talk, you know, momentum going, she's great on the mic. Just love to see where it goes and how it's all going to play out. Like, obviously, there were some shenanigans with Rebel, so... Yeah, I hope not anything with Rebel. I'm not a big fan of that, but I, I am a little concerned now that Britt Baker is the heel. You know, outside of Sheeta, they don't really have anybody that is just a solid babyface woman that, you know, I that to me at this moment in time can go straight into a feud. So I think they've got to figure that out. But it's good to see some elevation in that division. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully... You know, Baker can go on a run and elevate some face women like, you know, or if it ends up going in a direction where it's like two heels, you look at Jade Cargill's out there and uh, she's got like the attitude. It might have to be something more like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where people are liking them. So they're not your traditional good guy, bad guy, uh, but still put on a, a productive and solid program. And I think that could be the direction. I could be OK with that. So next up, we had a fairly exciting match from one standpoint and ultimately another one of those that probably could have been a little bit shorter in the end. But we had Scorpio Sky and All Ego Ethan Page in the tag team kind of grudge match here against 
fan favorite Darby Allen, and of course, the icon Sting returning for his first legit in-ring match in six years. So Kyle, what did you think about Sting's return? I mean, the opening vignette was pretty awesome. Like, just the way that they've stylized the return of Sting and bonded him with Darby Allen because they they both have some similarities in their presentation and what they look like and their styles like this and that obviously Sting is a bigger dude but oh man it was it's Sting so you're like "Ah, come on come on it's it's awesome right yeah for (laughs) sure I love the snow entrance that they've got going on I don't know why people hadn't thought about that before I guess maybe Glacier had the complete you know monopoly (laughs) on cold cold weather entrances right from the wcw days you know but uh but it's all working for me from that standpoint this match i thought was was not bad but it went way too long i'm not a huge fan of scorpio sky i'll just say that like the seu days have kind of ruined him for me for some reason so Hmm. to me it was just about seeing sting i like darby nothing wrong there but it wasn't something that really had me excited other than sting's return Once again, we see the guys waste no time. Darby comes out, dives right into the ego and sky. They take them out. So we saw kind of that same type of opening happen in a few of the matches here because of how much they had kind of built up some of these feuds. But we did get a cool moment early on. Sting and Scorpio go fighting onto the entrance entrance ramp pretty much before the match even started. And Sky gives Sting a, a decent, you know, typical suplex onto that steel. Okay, old man taking the big bump early, but Sting pops right back up. He knocks Sky off of the stage down to the ring mat and then just goes for a big old crossbody dive off the poker chip, you know, production set. And what did you think, man, when Sting just came out and, and gave it? Sting, I, I was like, oh my God. The, <laughs> everything I was seeing him doing from the big bumps to the dives to later in the match when he was doing some stinger splashes, I was like, this dude looks really good for a man of his age and where he is in his career. Yeah. Like, that is that is bold to, to be doing all that. And especially with some of the injuries that he had later in his career with neck problems and things like that. I we talked about it when whenever you see like Edge or Daniel Bryan take a big bump and you cringe and you get worried. Yeah, like that's just anytime I see Sting move, that's how I feel. Like, oh, you do not want to sit here and watch one of your idols get paralyzed. It's true. But yeah, it's just incredibly impressive. Yeah, he definitely still has it. I mean, you can see it. And for being as old as like Taker and some of those other guys, I mean, maybe not night in, night out, but looking at him in this match like he looked on the better end of most of the older guys we've seen yeah he's the classic toby keith you know i ain't as good as i once was but i'm as good (laughs) once as i ever was exactly that's sting right now exactly (laughs) and so after that initial kind of opening salvo i thought this match kind of slowed back down a little bit which makes some sense especially with an old vet in the ring they tend to go that way But while this was very often almost like a two-on-one handicap match between uh, Darby and Sky and Paige, I did think that when Sting did get involved and got in, that they worked those moments really well because 
they did a decent amount of tag team wrestling. I think they even cut the ring in half really well early on on Sky. And so, like, they looked like they had been a legit tag team for a number of years versus kind of two guys that have come together recently. And I don't know if that was, you know, just Sting's veteran savvy, but, I mean, they looked good when he was in there and involved and they were doing some of those things that you really like to see in a true tag team match. Yeah, and you, the commentators sell it really well, where they say that we've got a, a mentor and a mentee here in Sting and Darby Allen. so naturally they invoke those thoughts that they're, they're working together off-screen on techniques and tag team wrestling maneuvers, so when they do get in the ring together, they're a well-oiled unit. I think my only thing with this match is the, what I've already said, so I'm not going to beat it into the ground, but the same thing that happened with the three previous matches is very clear where this one was going, and it just took a little too long to get there for my taste. Yeah, they definitely had a few moments peppered in that kept you uh, attentive. Yeah. You know, like when Ethan Page military press Darby Allen and threw him from the ring into the crowd. Yeah. My head, my jaw hit the ground. I was like, holy crap. I mean, I know Darby's not a big guy, but that was still a pretty big display of power. Yeah. Oh, it shows off Ethan Page is stronger than he looks. Right. AW's got a lot of those light heavyweight folks. And depending on the match, they can adjust their style. So hopefully we see more of that in the years to come out of AEW where they can give us a variety of match styles with the same competitors because they are so versatile. Agreed. And so ultimately this one ended in a a pretty decent little finish. Scorpio Sky goes for his springboard cutter or springboard stunner move that he likes to do. And instead, Sting counters it and pretty much takes him right into a Scorpion Death Drop DDT and follows it up with the pin to get the win. You knew it was going that way. There was no chance that Darby and Sting were going to lose this match and his return. But all in all, it was good to see him. Decent finish. Ready to move on to the next match, though. Yeah, I was at this point in the evening knowing what was left to come. I was ready to get there, and maybe that factored into why I felt some of these other matches ran a little long, but it was like time looking at the time of the night and how long the pay-per-view had been going and what was to come, because you're like, okay, they're going to give the AW World Championship the full treatment. They're probably going to give the Stadium Stampede the full treatment, so like, let's, let's just get there. Exactly, and they were co-main events here, and so that adds into it as well. So up next, though, we got into that AEW World Heavyweight title fight. And this was a little bit of an odd match as far as like how it came together and how they built this together. But you knew going in with these three guys that this match was going to be fantastic. And ultimately, it delivered, I thought, in pretty much every area. But it was the current world title champion, He's got all the belts, Kenny Omega, and he walked in with all four of his world titles. He had the AEW, he had the TNA, he had the Impact, he had the AAA Mega Championship, and then, and then, and it feels like it just goes on forever, right, you know? Oh, the belt collector (laughs) gimmick is just awesome, and he looked awesome with 
having the AEW around his waist. I think the impact was around his shoulder. The other two were kind of on his biceps yep. as he carried him in. I've, he looked like a stud. And I'm just, I, I love to see the belt collector stuff. Yeah, it's totally awesome. But he was going up against the ever-impressive bastard pack and freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy, who is always an X-Factor. You never know what is going to go on with OC. Does he even care if he's there? Are the fr- fans just going to demand that he wins? Like It is just all over the board, but always, always entertaining with him. Yeah, 100%. I think this match did a great job of highlighting all three competitors in in a the way that three-way matches should. Yeah, and there's way too much here for us to go through, you know, move to move and moment by moment because these guys went at it just like the other matches. That's been the theme is that they just went at it from moment 1. And we did get early on some really good to your point breakdowns where we got Pack versus Kenny, Kenny versus OC, OC versus Pack, and they all have enough of a history that it all made sense, and there was able to call back to different matches that have been had, you know, going back way early on between Pack and Omega, and even more recently between Pack and OC. So it was really good to see all of them get that opportunity to show off what they do best. I thought one of the early highlights though was when. Orange Cassidy hit that double Hurricane Rana on both Pac and Omega. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. You, you don't see those too often, if ever, really. And it just, it looked really cool. OC is just so smooth. Oh, yeah. He went from the double Hurricane Rana almost directly into a suicide dive on Pac and then came in and hit a textbook like Tilt to World DDT onto Omega. And it was just this like perfect little combination of high high-risk moves he had a moment where like he bounced off the ropes and took his like did a flip over took his sunglasses off and chucked him out of the ring and it and it was honestly like smooth as silk like (laughs) dude like that's incredible like that's the highlight of the match for me like he's doing all these crazy moves but when he did a flip over and took his glasses off and chucked them so they don't you know hit his face a little later yeah somehow that is also incredibly impressive to me Nah, he's just, it's his style, it's unique, and he puts his hands in his pockets and, you know, does, it's like minimal, but also maximum at the same time. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's super entertaining. And he was actually part of another really good moment that I thought where him and Omega were going back and forth with numerous pin attempts. And they were in that bridge sequence. Yeah. And then Pac hit the top rope and then comes down on both of them with a 450 splash. I thought that was a really nice moment. Yeah, that was sick. It was just absolutely sick because it was solid technical wrestling happening down on the mat. And then just break it all up with some crazy high flying. I feel like there were several moments throughout this match where you found yourself being like, you know what? This person or that person could easily win. Like, I know a lot of our votes that came in were for Omega. We had one lone person saying they wanted Freshly Squeezed. That was Matt. Uh, But everyone else that that voted was all in on Omega. I was all in on Omega. But the match changed me as I was watching. I was like, you know what? At any moment, it truly felt like Pac or OC could also take it. I agree. I'm definitely big on Pac. I think that he is 
definitely one of the best wrestlers in the world and gets overlooked by a lot of people that are still kind of focused on like the, the biggest of names. Yeah. But in this match, he definitely proved that he absolutely deserves to stay in the title picture, have a title run the whole nine yards. And you're right. There was definitely some moments where even though I would agree that I thought for sure that Omega would come out of this, like it's just not his time to lose just yet, you know, but they built this and executed in a way that you thought that, you know, both Pac and OC might take it in a variety of different finishes. Yeah. And one of those I thought was when Pac hit that super like avalanche Falcon arrow from the top rope onto Omega. And I was like, oh my God, it was a little bit closer to the end of the match, at least past the halfway point. And then OC comes in and throws Pac out and he tried to get the pin. So you're just like, oh my God, it's going to be Pac. It's going to be OC. And just, they all kept kicking out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tons of, this was the match that, you know, we were looking for to get the energy back into the crowd because it, it did. It took a slight dip in the middle as all wrestling shows do. That's just how it works. And this one brought the energy back and brought the excitement because it, it was really unpredictable. I honestly thought anytime Orange Cassidy was covering Pac or Pac was covering OC for a pin, I was convinced that that's how it was going to yeah. end because they could go on to do the story. Omega lost, but he didn't really lose that classic wrestling trope. Right. And I was like, but you know, you just never knew. And I love it when wrestling is unpredictable in this way. It's true. It's definitely true. And that's really what I expected. If it was going to go one of those ways, that's how it was going to happen. Like Omega, there was no chance to me that Omega was going to be pinned or submitted in this, in this situation. But just to kind of throw it out here, because like I said, there was way too much to completely cover. But just to give an idea of how insane this match was leading up to the finish, we had some of those big moments that I just mentioned. But you had almost like 15 solid minutes of just nonstop big spots that led to near falls that we thought could have ended the match. I mean, you had... At one point after the Falcon Arrow, Pac hits the Black Arrow on OC and almost gets the pin, but Kenny barely gets in to break it up. Then Pac misses a Black Arrow on Kenny, and Omega turns around and you know is going for a one-winged angel, but OC comes out of nowhere with the orange punch and the beach break, but Omega kicks out again there. OC then just keeps dropping his punches. He keeps you know, going at them. And he actually had a great moment where it looks like um, no doubt Orange Cassidy is winning this thing. And Don Callis, who is on commentary, literally starts screaming, oh shit, oh shit, onto the mic. Yeah. (laughs) And jumps up, runs off. And like, that's how desperate they had built everything was that he thought for sure Omega was going to lose to the point where he had the crowd chanting clearly for like multiple minutes fuck (laughs) you don dude it was bonkers man (laughs) yeah it was absolutely wild it's the best type of wrestling It, it, it is the excitement that we want to see that keeps you coming back week after week and yeah it's seen the crowd made it the crowd made that moment and i'm sure don Callis is cheesing oh yeah like, how do how do you not break character in that moment because what 
what just a, a span of a few couple minutes when <laughs> it looks like Omega's gonna lose. He does break it up, and the crowd just totally feeds into it and and starts you know giving him the business. Yeah, it was it was something special. It was it was definitely something that I thought earmarked this match as match of the night for me. For sure. And it didn't even stop there. So, like, from there, Pac locks in the Brutalizer submission onto uh, OC, but Omega comes in, and he's trying to break it up, but Pac won't let it go. Like, you think, okay, like, he's OC's gonna tap, because Kenny cannot get them to break this submission. So, what does he do? It's a no-DQ match, and he's the heel champion who's definitely about his wits so he goes over and double axe handles the ref yeah and knocks the ref out <laughs> yeah um yeah it was smart move by him yeah like because you do have that moment you're like wait what you just attacked the ref just plain as day but yeah no dq anything can happen yeah and from there i thought the crowd was going to become unhinged <laughs> i th- i mean they were i i was expecting Pepsi bottles and beer cans and everything to start getting thrown in because Kenny Omega then does what Kenny Omega does. And he just pretty much uses that heel capacity to make sure that he is going to come out on top regardless. And Don Callis starts feeding him the title belts one by one. And he hits Pac four consecutive times with the different title belts and ultimately, even though OC tried to come out of nowhere and, you know, turn that around to get the quick surprise pin on Omega, he still was able to counter. We had Aubrey, you know, second referee comes running in at the end and he gets that one, two, three with the backslide pin. Uh, it was exhausting to watch. Oh, yeah. And I and you could kind of tell, like, they, they were a little off. It wasn't the cleanest of finishes. But, like, the buildup was so chaotic that you, you kind of excuse that a little bit because it there was so much going on and so many things to coordinate with the tossing of the belts and this person getting hit and this person going down, new ref coming in. Like, it, it just, it was the chaos that totally summed up a chaotic match. Like, it was uh, controlled chaos might be a better way to put it. Sure. Like, it was all over the place. There was so much happening but it wasn't hard to follow. Right. Well, and for all the big spots they did, like, once again, another pretty clean match with no botches. You know, I mean, they... I said it at the beginning when we started this. The guys, the whole locker room, guys, girls, everybody, brought the A game across the board here. And I thought that seeing them execute this match for as ambitious as they was with how much that they were undertook in this triple threat was really good to see. Yeah, 100%. There was there was really only one moment, actually, and it's, it was back in the Casino Battle Royale where there was a botch, but veteran Matt Hardy and Leo Rush kind of improved and got back to the appropriate spot. It was when Leo was doing a low rope bounce stunner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the springboard stunner. Yeah. And it didn't work on first attempt, but honestly, the way they bounced back, you couldn't even tell. Yeah. So hats off to the entire division you know, the entire locker room, because you're right, it was a clean pay-per-view for the most part. And I think we don't even have to sugarcoat it. I know we got one more match to cover here, but you alluded to it. I was really struggling to to figure out what I would name match of the night as we went through the pay-per-view here, because it was 
great Hangman Page and Brian Cage, you know, seemed like they was almost a shoe in from the beginning, the women's match. But man, I think that I would have to say that this was match of the night. Yeah, and really, if if the belt wasn't on the line, like it might be a little closer between Adam Page and Brian Cage in this match. But the added bonus of the belt and it being three way and just the different spots, you have to give it to this. Yeah, it delivered the crowd, the belt, everything. So just calling that out there. There's no need to hide from it before. You know, we don't have to wait to the end here because it just almost every match could have been match of the night in some way, shape or form. But but this was really the number one. Yeah. So that does take us here to the last true match of the night. And this was for certain to be a absolute chaotic situation. If it could possibly go up to 11, you knew a stadium stampede match was going to take it to 11. So still a pretty good call to have this match at the end of the night. We had the inner circle led by Chris Jericho going up against the pinnacle, of course, led by Maxwell Jacob Freeman. And the added stipulation here was that if the inner circle loses, they had to be disbanded. They had to be no more. And once again, a lot of bad blood built into this feud. A lot of tension, you know, has been going down on dynamite over the last number of weeks to put this together. And even the feud and the situation between the inner circle and MJF goes back months and months and you know a few pay-per-views even so oh yeah this was the cultivation of some real long-form storytelling and once again way too much to cover here it's almost its own class of type of match but the biggest thing that you really got to know was that this turned into a street fight from moment one and they even had some cool twists you know to kind of get it set up where mjf showed up on his own he's in this limo kind of looking like the four horsemen but chris jericho is not going to be outdone so they come in looking like sons of anarchy but they repelled down yeah from the like jumbotron over the end zone of the jaguars stadium so before we get into the action kyle what did you think there of that inner circle entrance well i thought that was really cool. I mean, totally unique in, in the rappelling down and making them look like a unit. Like, you're going to get a a cinematic match out of this one way or another. Right. So why not have some fun with how you enter the match? And I think them being on top of the Titantron and then rappelling down is just how Chris Jericho. How Chris Jericho. Oh, yeah. Not only were they, they rappelling down, but you had flame pyro down on the ground lighting up behind them <laughs> you had judas blaring like it does and so even though they were in the football field everybody over in daly's place was just absolutely going nuts singing the song chanting you could probably hear it through all of jacksonville and so it was just all super fitting yeah it was just it's so good i actually wrote the very beginning of this match just sit back and watch what happens here because it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> like the match is going to be all over the place. It's going to be a street fight in a stadium. So, you know, there's going to be various rooms between like, you know, boiler rooms and boardrooms on the field. There's a ring in the middle of a football field. Like knowing what we got last year out of the stadium stampede, it was like kick back 
and enjoy whatever this group of guys is about to put on. It's true, and they did a good job balancing some of that stuff that had been established with the more cinematic matches of the COVID year and knowing that they were doing it live here with a crowd. And so I thought that that was one thing worth calling out was that they had a good balance and were able to probably produce a lot of that via the TV screen to the crowd. And then eventually they did work their way in. We'll get to that here in a second. But to your point, they battled all over. And really the way this match kind of worked out was we saw different members from each faction, for the most part, kind of pair off and have you know a few fight scenes of their own together and then it progressed through the fight so it would be way too confusing to try and call out you know exactly how everything went down but at the high level Jericho and MJF quickly spilled on to their own feud and went right inside the stadium and they really took us around the tour of the inner Jaguars offices and and what was going on in there Jericho really just beat the hell out of MJF for a while, and there was one good moment. I wanted to see what your thoughts were, but we got to see the new Jaguars coach, Urban Meyer, make an appearance where they spill into like an office, him and Charlie Strong strategizing Jags you know, football talk, and ultimately they hand him some footballs. They give some footballs to Jericho to like pelt mjf with and then a laptop that he just destroys over mjf's head but it earned a uncharacteristic you know holy shit out of urban meyer right there on camera so that was kind of cool but yeah real quick what did you think about that little uh guest appearance it was goofy it was so (laughs) goofy and I don't, you know, I, I have no real feelings towards Urban Meyer as a coach or anything like that. Like, but just seeing it, it was like, man, this is this is the two sides of wrestling. And I alluded to it with Moxley a little bit. We're like, wrestling is somehow both very serious and very stupid at the same time. Right. And this was one of those perfect moments of like, the, these two dudes are having a fist fight brawling through a boardroom and then all of a sudden the head coach of the jacksonville jaguars is there just like oh hey and becomes an accessory to assault and becomes an exce- yeah yeah just becomes an accessory <laughs> it was it was just it, everything you want out of professional wrestling just goofiness for goofiness sake and like a, just a, a fun little thing it's true i thought to myself like urban meyer's probably like what have i gotten myself into <laughs> It, I, I was almost expecting it to be more like Trevor Lawrence, who would have made an appearance, like the young draft pick quarterback, you know? Yeah. But they went with the head coach. So, but to your point, really, you know, I, I don't think that this match ended up being quite as over the top and um, even quite as entertaining as last year's. Yeah. Because they just they filmed it all ahead of time. I think they had a lot more time to be a little bit more creative versus wrestling you know and typical wrestling type uh brawls yeah but street fight was the best way to sum this up and then they each different scene kind of had its own aspects that were very goofy and over the top so like we saw jake hager and wardlow go fight it out in a giant walk-in freezer where they had like half cut pigs hanging and like literally wardlow grabs an icicle and tries to stab (laughs) jake hager with an icicle yeah, that was over the top. We see um, Chairman Sean Spears and Sammy Guevara then like battle it out in this weird confrontation. It was like a whole warehouse full of chairs. Like it was very like evil villain lair. Yeah, for the chairman. 
right? I felt like the whole vibe was Mortal Kombat. Kind of. It was like, you know, in the original Mortal Kombat movie where they go from like fight to fight and they have to establish the wide arena that they're fighting in before they can actually get to it. Yeah. Because as they switched, there was always those moments where like the camera just kind of paused for a second so you could see the environment, whether it was the meat freezer or the the chair warehouse, or eventually with the tag team folks, they were in like a disco. You know, they they were in a, a dance club of sorts. Like the nightclub <laughs> was the weirdest one. Yeah. So Santana and Ortiz go and they find FTR and Tully Blanchard just like having drinks in the nightclub. It's reminiscent of what happened with Paige in the Inner Circle in last year's Stampede. But what got me was that instead of them just you know starting to fight. Both teams literally kick the shit out of like 20 civilians right? and yeah. destroy like every bottle and beer and glass, everything in the place. They just kick the shit out of all the civilians and then they come together, have a shot and then beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> right. Just professional wrestling, man. Just goofiness for goofiness sake. It's true. It's true. And we do have to call out there that in that nightclub, they had a special DJ spinning them hot beats and it was Conan. Conan. He looked old as Tully Blanchard. It's true. He definitely should not look that old. <laughs> but wrestling, wrestling is not kind. I know to those that, that wrestled in the eighties and the nineties. You know, nobody ages well unless you're Ricky Steamboat. It's true, but it was definitely good to see him. You know, another old veteran, very entertaining when we were young. You know, everybody loved Conan back in the day. So, always cool to see, and and that was a fitting spot for him to show up in. Yeah. Kind of like an Easter egg. Yeah, he was there, he was DJing, you know, we know that he's friends with all those guys, because he's part of the Jericho Podcasting Network, so. Right. He's obviously, he has those ties, so, fitting to bring him in and cameo that spot. So, ultimately, we do then circle back after we see kind of the the mid-card folks from these two stables really kind of get beaten to a point where they're pretty much taken out and we come back to Jericho and MJF fighting, you know, out into the crowd. They finally make their way into Daly's place and Jericho is ultimately able to finish off a blood covered MJF. You know, he did get opened up earlier on. I guess it's worth calling out when Jericho stapled a business card to MJF's forehead and then just ripped it right back off. You know, from that moment on, there was color all over MJF's face. I think he did the Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, threw him through a glass door as well. So, like, he, you know, glass everywhere, totally bloodied up. For sure. Not quite blood and guts from a couple weeks ago. No. But definitely there was some color throughout the night. Definitely some, but not on that level. But, you know, as they get back out there into the the fans, into Daly's place, Jericho ends up kind of finishing off MJF with a powerbomb through a table that knocks him out. And then we see Sammy chasing Sean Spears into the ring in Daly's place on a gator maintenance cart. So we got yet another callback to the golf carts that just seem to persevere in the AEW circles. Right. But it did come down to a little bit, a short little bit of an actual wrestling match in the ring in front of all the fans between Sammy and Sean Spears, where Sammy ultimately hits a 630 senton and gets the pin to win it for the inner circle and uh, pretty much cement that they are going to be sticking around 
for many more moons to come. I was surprised by the finish to all of this. I was surprised that Spears and Guevara got to finish off the match, given the other names on both the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle. Agreed. And I was surprised that the Pinnacle didn't end up getting the win here, because I felt like after three years, the Inner Circle has run its course, and those guys could break up and do their own thing. So, shocked all around, but in the end, while it wasn't my prediction, the faces did stand tall here, which could be how you want to close out your marquee event. Well, and I think that's kind of the thing. I mean, Jericho, and for years and years, has been kind of that in-between. Like, even when he's a face, he's a heel. And even when he's a heel, he's a face. And the inner circle have kind of had that same situation going, you know, outside of maybe a few moments here or there or a specific feud. But that's really the one thing that seemed to kind of maybe keep me leaning to the fact that the inner circle was going to win was because now with the pinnacle coming up and they clearly want them to be four horsemen style uber heels, you know, that everybody just absolutely hates. You need a solid face kind of faction to help with that, at least to continue to get it established. Yeah. And so it almost kind of saw it like that. Whereas the inner circle now is transitioning more to that traditional face role fan favorites and then they can carry over they can let the pinnacle really start to stand as the main heel faction of AEW sure sure and AEW is going to have some problems on their hands because they have so many superstars and we talked about at the very beginning bring it back up here at the end like there's just so many people on the roster that you want to see compete for a belt and there's just not enough belts to go around and as they move forward in the next like five years, like I said, like it was going to be very, very interesting to see who they push up, who they push down, because if tonight is any implication of what they've got as far as a top to bottom roster, they are really well off. Yeah. Really, really, really good, especially on the men's side. Women's side, they could that's just highlighting. I think, you know, when they, they roll out the new show, that division's gonna get deeper, but as far as a top-to-bottom roster, they are looking really good. Agreed, and I think that's really the key, is that they're now moving into the <clears throat> establishing more hours of television, a few new shows, and I think that'll really be the key to see how things unfold as we go through the next half of this year. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, all keeps going up because one good wrestling show is good for the other wrestling show because can, we say it all the time and across many industries, competitiveness is good for your industry it will make you evolve so despite having some overall pacing issues all in all aw double or nothing 2021 was a fantastic pay-per-view start to finish using the crowd energy to propel the roster to new heights make sure to check us out on social media with your opinions on this all elite wrestling event thanks for listening If you enjoyed this chapter, be sure to hit the subscribe button to get new chapters of Geek Catch-Up every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow the show on social media, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Geek Catch-Up Podcast, or on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch-Up Pod. Links to all these accounts are in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.